Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible study podcast for women. I'm your host, Amy Spreeman. Check out all the Bible studies at Naomi'sTable.com. Now here's teacher Beth Seifert with today's lesson in 2 Corinthians. So pull up a chair, open your Bibles, and let's begin. Welcome back to our study in the book of 2 Corinthians, ladies. Today we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 through 21. And I've titled this lesson, Day 20, Sola Deo Gloria. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 11. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super-apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I didn't, myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you." For children are not obliged to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. So Paul has just spent the past sections of this letter defending himself and his ministry and playing the game that these false teachers are playing, and he's disgusted with it. He boasted foolishly like this because these people, the Corinthians, who should have known him, who should have been strong witnesses for his character and for his message, instead of commending him and defending the gospel, which they know was true because the evidence was in their own changed lives, they rejected Paul as if he were nothing. They rejected him based on the false testimony of these false apostles, while the signs of true apostleship were all over Paul's ministry. Signs, wonders, mighty works, and changed hearts and lives. Paul went among them with patience as he taught and shared the gospel and even performed signs and wonders through the Holy Spirit. He didn't rush through his teaching so he could get on to the next group. He spent time, he was patient, and took the time to teach them so they would have a firm foundation. 
The only wrong that Paul can even perceive that he has done to them is that he didn't charge them for sharing the gospel. And I'm pretty sure he's being sarcastic as he apologizes for this wrong here. And the reason I think he's being sarcastic is because in verse 14, he says he's preparing to come to them for the third time. And again, he won't be burdening them. If he'd really wronged them by not charging them or burdening them with his material needs while he was with them, he wouldn't tell them that he was coming to see them again. And again, he wouldn't be burdening them. So Paul makes the point that his object is not to burden them. He doesn't want their stuff. He wants them. He wants them truly and soundly saved for Christ. He sees them as his children, and his role as a parent is to provide for them, not the other way around. His love for them is evident, yet they are dismissive of his love and work on their behalf. In some twisted way, they seem to be claiming that, by Paul's refusing to be a burden on them, that he had a hidden motive and was sneakily trying to manipulate them and take advantage of them. That's a laughable idea, but those who thrive on conspiracy theories and endless myths would be easily swayed by this kind of thing. The weirder, the better. Neither Paul nor Titus took advantage of these people. Neither of them did. Both of them behaved in the same manner, in the same spirit, taking the same steps to avoid any hint of underhandedness. The fact that these people could so easily be led to see hidden secrets and conspiracies in the forthright and earnest mission of Paul and Titus is honestly discouraging and hurtful. Yet here Paul wraps it all up and lets them all know why he has been talking to them so much about this. He's not actually defending himself to these people for the sake of his reputation, but for the sake of Christ and the gospel, and ultimately for their benefit. Paul isn't trying to earn the favor of these people. The slander and attack on Paul is actually a direct attack on the message that Paul brings, the gospel. Thus, this is an attack on Christ. Paul will defend the gospel and he will defend Christ. His goal is to make sure these people are on the right track, that they are staying in line with the gospel that they were given, and they aren't being led astray by false teachings or false teachers. Paul is legitimately concerned about what he will find when he visits them. Will the people be quarrelsome or united? Will they be jealous or content? Will they be angry or calm? Hostile instead of hospitable? Slanderous instead of welcoming and gracious? Gossiping instead of having self-control? Conceited instead of humble? In disorder instead of order? Paul wants to be able to correct them through this letter. He prays that this letter is sufficient for them to repent, to be reconciled to each other and to God. Otherwise, Paul fears that when he comes again before them, God may humble him, that is, that Paul may be grieved by the continued unrepentant, hardened hearts of these believers. Paul isn't using humbled here as if his pride were part of this. He's worried about what it would mean for the people of Corinth if they continue to remain in their rebellion, because that would be a potential sign that these people are, in fact, not actually believers, and that they never were. That would humble Paul. That would grieve him, and that would be a dreadfully painful visit for everyone. At the end of the day, God is the one whom Paul answers to, and God is the one whom Paul seeks to glorify. Paul doesn't owe the Corinthians a defense of himself, but for the sake of the true gospel being lifted up, he does defend himself, but again, to the glory of God, not the pride of Paul. As I read this section of Second Corinthians, it strikes me how often 
we will defend ourselves from slander concerned about our own reputations when that has nothing to do with the gospel. If someone has gossiped about you and besmirched your character, let your life be a contradiction to that gossip. So many times we are concerned about our own reputations and making sure everyone knows who we are instead of setting aside our pride and living, as First Peter says, holy and blameless lives, so that when they try to slander you, it is easily proven false. Yet when the gospel is at stake, when a false gospel is being shared, when it is our God who is being slandered, we often cringe and look away. Now don't get me wrong, not every assault on the gospel is your battle to fight, and I would never say that God is incapable of defending himself. But how often do we examine what is going on and even consider engaging in conversation to correct wrong assumptions or encourage others to find their answers in Scripture first and foremost? There are times to stand up and to gently but firmly correct false teaching and false teachers and to do so while highlighting the true gospel and glorifying God. So ask yourself today, are you more concerned about your name being blasphemed among the people? or about God's name and his gospel being blasphemed among the world. Where is your focus really at? May we be more concerned about glorifying God than we are about making sure we are glorified in the eyes of others. May we truly live our lives for God's glory alone. Ladies, you'll find the notes for this study under the Bible Studies tab of the website naomistable.com, Day 20, Sola Deo Gloria.